Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. Thank you, Kirk. Uh, Tonight we're in for a treat. We have Andrew Howell here from Mobile, Alabama. He's a youth minister uh, slash minister at uh, Regency Church of Christ, and he's been there about nine years, has been in ministry for about 15, and uh, he has a wife, Crystal, and uh, three three kids, Emma Jane, Houston, and Ethan, and uh, really excited for him to be here. Uh, also, he's, he's one of my best friends and, and enjoy getting to be with him and, and hang out with him, but also he's got some family here, and uh, so he's, he's get to be here for a little bit and, and uh, fun fact about him, uh, he, he loves Rosie's. He is a fan of Rosie's, not Phil Sandoval's, though that's good. But he is, he is Team Rosie's uh, for sure. And so y'all can find about that later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, Andrew is a great guy, and uh, he is a, a lover of God and God's people, and I really, uh, really appreciate him and, and love him, and can't wait to listen to what he has to share from God's Word tonight. Let's pray together before he speaks to us. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to get to be together as your family and, and get to share uh, in, in worship of you and, and in study of your word. God, please bless Andrew as he speaks to us tonight and, and help us to grow from it and, and help uh, us to be the people that you want us to be. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's through him we pray. Amen. I did not expect Jordan to be so controversial right at the beginning here. So we have been here for like a week, staying with my brother. We did some family stuff and have been hanging out. We actually got to worship here on Sunday, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I've known Jordan for a long time, known Andrew Itson for a while, and gotten to know some of the other ministers here. And so it's been, it's been great. And so I, I love that I get to come here and speak. I love that I get to come and spend time with family. But I do really love that I get to come and eat at Rosie's. We've been there a lot this past week. I love Rosie's. I love Phil's. I love Little Rosie's. The breakfast there is incredible. So on Sunday, actually, we went to Phil's because they're open on Sunday. You guys know this. Why am I even telling you this? They're open on Sunday. And so we got there and they told us it was going to be like an hour and a half wait. And so I told my youngest son, Houston, I said, hey, go back in with mom and look really sympathetic. And maybe they'll, you know, make some exception and try to bump the time up a little bit for us. And so go in and look really sympathetic. And so he, he walks in there and he walks right up to the hostess and he says, I'm pathetic. <laughs> and it didn't work. They didn't bump the time down with that uh, little misunderstanding that he had with it. So tonight, uh, I want to start off by playing a game. I hope that's okay. So I am a youth minister right now. We're actually looking for a youth minister, and I'm about to move into a different role. And we like to play a lot of games in our youth ministry. And so I want to start with a game. I hope that's okay. And so it's called How Many in a Lifetime? Now, here's how we play. I want you to play with somebody sitting next to you, okay? I want you to correctly guess the answer to the question that's posed on the screen. All the calculations are based on the average North American lifespan of 78 years. Okay, so keep track of your score with the person sitting next to you, and then you have bragging rights with that. So here's the first one. 
How many times does a person sneeze in a lifetime? You think it's A? Who thinks A? Feels kind of low, at least for me. Uh, B, 85,000. C, 130,000. Make sure you're keeping track here what your answers are. Here's the answer. It is B, 85,104. That's a lot of sneezes. A lot of sneezes. Okay, next one. How many hours of television does a person watch in a lifetime? Now, this could be all over the place, um, and I think this includes like streaming, which is probably really high for people now. Go ahead and say your answer to the person next to you. What do you think it is? You probably guess. It's a lot. It's 80,000 hours of television, which is like nine years of someone's life. It's a, it's a long time. All right, third one. How many dreams does a person have in a lifetime? How many dreams? You have a lot of dreams over here. I like it. I like it. I don't feel like I dream very much, but uh, the answer to this one is B, 142,000. Couple more, couple more of these. Who's winning right now? Hope you're winning. Gotten all, anybody gotten all three right so far? Okay, a couple people. Here's the next one. How many times does a person laugh in a lifetime? It's 121,242,000. I hope it's C. Let's see what the answer is. It's C. Okay, good. Good, excellent. Hopefully you're one of those people that likes to laugh. How many pounds of bugs does a person unknowingly eat over their lifetime? Pounds. These are pounds of bugs. And you're like, Andrew, I don't want to know the answer to this question. I had some other questions that were also kind of equally gross that I took out, which you'll be glad. The answer is 117 pounds. Some of you are like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to leave. That's all I needed. All right, here's the last one. How many slices of pizza? There was not a tortilla from Rosie's question on here. How many slices of pizza does a person eat over their lifetime? Now, as a youth minister, my answer is much higher than the average person's answer. We'll see which one it would be. These are slices of pizza. It's A. I feel like that's way off. I don't feel like that's accurate at all. I, I can do that in a couple of years. So that's how many in a lifetime. Now, I start off with this for a couple of reasons. One, I think it kind of puts things in perspective. When you look at some of these questions and how many times you get something, one thing that we know for sure is that there is a certain number of times that you get to experience things in a lifetime. So this past week, we were hanging out with, with family, and one of the things that we did is on Saturday, with my mom's side of the family, we, we went over to Florence and had a family reunion. And so it was cool getting to see these cousins I hadn't seen in a long time. It's probably been five or six years since I'd seen some of those cousins. And one of the things that I recognized in that moment is like, hey, you know, they're kind of limited opportunities to see and get together with people like this. And, and maybe some of you in here are very much aware of that, how limited uh, how we have a certain number of times where we get to do certain things. You have so many weeks that you get to spend. If you have a kid, there is a certain number of weeks that you have with your child before they turn 18, before they head off to college, or before they go off and move out of your house and go get a job. There are so many. You have a limited number of times where you get to gather together and sing praises to God like we did on Sunday night. It's a limited number of those things. And, and when we think about things in that way, what it should do for us is it should make us value those opportunities. Realize how special and important these are. Realize that there is a limited number of these things. And when we recognize how 
We don't get to do this maybe all the time. There's not an infinite number. It's a limited number. It then makes us put more importance on the times that we get to do those things. And when we think about things like that, hopefully it makes us more motivated to get involved in a ministry, to to serve, maybe like you guys are going to do this coming weekend, right? Take advantage of these opportunities to do things to glorify God. There is only only so many times that you're going to be able to get together and to praise the name of God. And recognizing that, I think, is a valuable exercise for us. So tonight, I want to look at a story from Mark chapter 2. And this story, Mark chapter 2, I think, involves some friends that recognize the importance of taking advantage of this special, significant opportunity. But I want to tell you a story first. So in youth ministry, there's this trip that we do every summer uh, at Harding University, and it's called Uplift. Maybe some of you have been to camp at Uplift before. I loved Uplift when I was a teenager, and my youth group in Memphis, we did that. My youth group in Mobile, we go to Uplift. And so I, I got so involved with it that I got to be a part of the youth ministry board that helped plan it. And so what they would do is, before the camp, they would bring these youth ministers in for a planning meeting. And so at the time, I, I drove in from Mobile, and I actually stayed at my parents' house in Memphis. They were living in Memphis at the time. And my plan was the next morning I was going to get up for this early morning breakfast meeting that we had. So I got up that morning for this meeting, and I was kind of running a little bit late. So I didn't eat any breakfast, which was a mistake. I didn't have any coffee. And so I'm driving to this meeting, trying to hurry and get there, and I get to the meeting just in time. But I'm starving. Like, I'm really starving. I really could use a cup of coffee. And so we go in for this meeting, and thankfully, the person that's in charge of the meeting sends around, I guess, one of their student workers. And I said, hey, they're going to take orders and going to go get everybody something from Starbucks. So I'm like, perfect. I can get something to eat here. And so I was thinking, what should I get to eat? And somebody next to me orders some banana bread. I hadn't really had banana bread in a long time, but he's like, you you should get the banana bread. So I said, yes, I'm going to get some banana bread and a cup of coffee. So the person goes to go get our order from Starbucks, and the meeting begins. But I'll I'll be honest, I couldn't think about anything. All I could think about was the potential meeting of me and this banana bread. I had visions of banana bread dancing in my head as I'm thinking about eating this delicious banana bread. I was so passionate about this banana bread. So finally, the time comes, and these student workers come through the door, and they've got all of the food. They start handing the food out, and they start handing the coffee out, and they hand me my coffee, but they didn't hand me any banana bread. And so I let them finish. I'm like, surely there's been some kind of mistake. Maybe there's a bag that I'm not aware of, but I do not get any banana bread. And so finally, I call the person over and I said, hey, did you get my banana bread? And the meeting's going on. The worker kind of leans down and says, sorry, they were out. And so I just sit there and I'm just so hungry and so sad. And I want to scream out to this person, you brought me nothing? Like you couldn't have brought me a streusel or a scone or a a, a banana and a slice of bread. Bring me something. But they brought me nothing. And so the whole meeting, I'm just starving, uh, trying to wait through till lunch. Now, did they have a, a reason for not bringing me the banana bread? What was the reason? They didn't have any. They were out. And like, I don't blame this college student. Like that's a pretty good reason to not bring something. They were out of banana bread. But part of me wished that they had figured some way to bring me something. 
to go above and beyond to bring me something. I know this is a reasonable obstacle. The obstacle they met was there was no banana bread. But I felt like they could have done something, and, and they did it, but, and that, that's fine. But I wish that they had done something more. The story we're going to look at tonight, there is this obstacle that these friends are presented with. And when they're presented with this obstacle, it is a very reasonable thing for them to turn around and be like, sorry, we tried our best. And so let's look at this story together in Mark chapter 2. So before we get into this, I do want to mention one thing. I think that in our Christian lives, in our spiritual journeys, we have goals. Like we've got godly desires But what happens sometimes for our goals and our godly desires is that we can run into obstacles. And here's the truth, like we know this, we will face obstacles. And these obstacles, they're going to get in the way of us accomplishing the things that we want to do as followers of Jesus. Sometimes I worry that we can think that just because we hit an obstacle, that we think that our duty is done. And and that hitting this obstacle has somehow relieved us of what we intended to accomplish. And so the question that I want us to think about tonight as we look at this story is, are we willing to get creative? Are we willing to find ways to bust through whatever obstacle is presented before us in order to accomplish our goal as followers of Jesus? Many times, these obstacles can feel like overwhelming. In fact, they can feel impossible. Like, how can I get through this? There's no way to get through this. But here's the truth, is that everything that we do in ministry, everything that we do within the church, everything that we do together for Christ is really in the realm of impossible. But obviously, with God, all things are possible. So here we go. Let's look at this together. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, a few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So, as we think about this story, Jesus here is speaking. It's a packed house. There's no room. The outside is is covered with people. There's no way in. And these friends, they have brought this person that they care about to Jesus. They've heard that he's in town. They've heard that Jesus is capable of healing And so they are bringing him to Jesus, but they can't because of an obstacle. There's this crowd. And and here's the thing about this story is that this happened. Sometimes we can read scripture, we can read the stories in the Bible, and we can think to ourselves like, uh, you know, these are just stories that we hear, and we become so familiar with them that we sometimes forget like, no, this is really something that actually happened. So imagine this, like picture this, there's people everywhere even outside. Like, think like Black Friday, right? There's just so many people surrounding the entrance. There's no way in. If I was a part of this four-man crew, or if you were a part of this four-man crew, you might think to yourself, like, man, it is, it's packed. It's too crowded. Sorry, like, hey, we tried, 
but there is no way in. There's nothing that we can do about it. And maybe you go back to the father of this man and, and you have this conversation with him and I imagine the father would, would say like, hey, thank you guys, at least y'all tried your best. I understand. Like he would probably be very understanding of it. But there's something about these four men that they were going to get a result no matter what it took. Now, there's good enough reason to say we can't get in this house, but they carried their friend all the way here on a mat. They tried to get through here. And the response could have been, sorry, there's no, there's no more room. There's no more banana bread. There's no more room in this house. But these four men, they come up with something that's pretty awesome. Like, it's, it's a crazy plan. It makes me think of, like, this is something college students would think of doing. They climb up on the roof, they dig a hole, and they lower their friend on the mat. Now, first off, like, don't do that to my house. Don't come up on my roof and, and dig a hole. Don't go through the roof. But here, they decide they are going to go through the roof. Why do they do this? Well, to them, it's too important not to. They recognize it's too important not to find some way, not to get creative in order to bring this person that they care about to Jesus. I mean, how long had they carried this man? They had to have been exhausted, right? But they get here and they decide, they make a decision to go one step further. How did they dig a hole? Like, was there a shovel laying around? Had they just thrown one up on the guy on the mat, you know, thinking maybe this is a possibility? I don't know, but they find a way to dig a hole through this roof. They were going to make this happen. They got creative and did what it took. And to me, this is the key thought here. They were going to make this happen. They had a task. They had a goal. They had a mission, something that looked impossible. But they decided, you know what? I'm going to dig a hole through this thing. Notice, too, like they didn't lower him into the back of the room. They lowered him in front of Jesus because they realized, like, we're going to get this result no matter what. The meeting, when they, when they do this, the meeting has to stop and the miracle has to be performed. And so as we think about the story, how much are we like these four men? Are we willing to do whatever we can to accomplish our goal? Are we willing to do whatever we can to bring people to Jesus? Like people that we love. Like it's one thing to think like people in other countries, people I don't even know, I want them to know Jesus. People that we care about, people that we see every day, are we willing to do whatever it takes for them to know Christ? And, and here it's a reasonable obstacle. There's too many people, but they found another way. They didn't stop them. They went through the roof because they realized this is too important to give up on. How many times do we let reasonable obstacles get in the way of our goal? How many times do we let reasonable obstacles get in the way of us bringing someone to Jesus? Maybe we think to ourselves, you know, I just don't have enough time. I don't know the things that I need to know. I'm not sure what I should say. We think to ourselves, you know, surely someone else will do this. Somebody's got a better relationship with this person. We may think to ourselves, like, hey, it's too late for that person. Like, they're just, they're just too far gone in order for this to make a difference. Maybe we think to ourselves, like, I would do this, but I feel pretty confident that if I tried, it would really just hurt our relationship. And, and so we get to this point where we think to ourselves, I've tried, I've run into this big, big obstacle, there's no way in, can't make it work. All of these 
are reasonable things to say. And this challenge is a challenge for myself. I think it's a challenge for all Christians in this passage to be like these four men, to go through the roof, to go above expectations, and to find a solution. I read a story about this, um, this company. They're called HiddenPassageway.com. And the guy that founded his name is Steve Humble. And his company, they make an assortment of secret doors that are used to hide secret rooms or closets in someone's house. Maybe you have something like this. This seems strange to me, but they, they build these secret rooms and they have secret doors to these places. And so here's what he says in this article. He says, we make doors that don't look like doors. It could look like a bookcase or a dresser or a grandfather clock or a brick wall. Anything you can think of that isn't a door. And he goes on, and the article says, Humble said that some of his clients want a secret door to hide a kid's play area or a movie room. Others want a place to hide a large safe or some guns. But personal safety is the number one reason people call him to do this. He said, high-end clients want custom-built panic or safe rooms where they can hide in case of a home invasion. All of the high-end secret doors open and close with a remote control that can be connected to anything around the house, which makes it kind of fun. So fun, in fact, and this is the part that I found really interesting, said customers often have trouble keeping their secret rooms secret. The majority of clients come to us with the intention of telling no one, but it's not uncommon for them to be so proud and excited about it that they end up showing it off to the whole neighborhood. Right? So they build this secret room with a secret door with the intention of it being secret, but what's the problem? They can't help but tell people about it. And why can't they help tell people about it? Because it's awesome, right? This is such a cool thing that they have to share with others. People who build secret doors to secret rooms can't wait to tell their neighbors, even though the rooms are supposed to be kept secret. Are we, as Christians, as excited about telling people about the door that's not supposed to be kept a secret, the one that leads to eternal life. Jesus says in John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's a passage uh, that I want to connect to this from Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, Paul is writing this. And you can really feel his passion and his heart behind what he says. And so in Romans 9, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. So basically, three different ways. He's kind of saying the same thing. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, what I'm about to tell you is true, and I can verify that it's true. And so he says it three different times. Speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. So what is it that's so pressing, so important on Paul's heart? Well, we find out in verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So two emotions that Paul's feeling. One is sorrow, sadness, and it's described as this great sorrow, this great sadness. And the second thing is anguish. Now, do y'all know what anguish is? Like, it's not a word we use often. I don't often hear my kids tell me that, you know, I'm feeling anguish right now. I mean, it's not a word we use often in our vocabulary, but anguish is kind of like a, like a hurting, painful, 
sadness. And here the descriptive word is what? How does he describe this anguish that he's feeling? What's the word? Unceasing. So this thing that's causing Paul this this pain never goes away. And so Paul is saying, what I'm telling you is true, speaking the truth, I am feeling great sorrow and this painful sadness that is always with me. It never goes away. And so I imagine Paul, this thing that's on his heart, that's making him so sad, he is thinking about it all the time. When he wakes up in the morning, it's on his mind. When he goes to bed at night, when he has a moment to himself or is traveling on one of his journeys, he's thinking about this thing that's causing him this never going away sadness. So what is it? What's making Paul so incredibly sad? Well, in verse three it says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Well, just right there, like that's kind of a shocking thing to say. What, why would Paul even say that? Who would ever say something like that? Who would say that I would wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ? What's he saying here? Well, he goes on, he says, for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Here's what Paul's saying. What is making Paul so incredibly sad? It's that people that he loves, people that he cares about, the people of Israel, his brothers and sisters, the people of his own race, he is saying that I would do anything, right? I would go so far, if I could, I would be cursed and cut off from Christ. Obviously, that's not an option, right? That's not going to make this happen. But you get the point of what he's trying to say. He would do anything for the people that he cares about and loves for them to know Jesus Christ. So for, for just a minute, I want you to think about who is it that when you think about this person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a close friend, that when you think about this person, you feel great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And you think to yourself, man, I would do anything for them to know Jesus. And one thing we do know about Paul, and we're going to get to one more passage where he kind of touches on this, is that Paul does try anything for these people to know Christ. Paul, Paul is not just expressing this, like he is literally trying to do anything he can, go through any obstacle in order to bring someone to knowing Jesus Christ. Let's tell you a quick story. And, and, and I want to tell you the story because uh, it's a good story on something that I think we all experience and we all have a good understanding of. And it's the story of me asking my wife to marry me. So um, we met in college. We kind of had three years to our relationship. We were like friends for a year, and then we dated for a year, and then we were engaged for a year. And so our first date was at this place near campus. It was like this vineyard. We had like a club function there. It was lit up at night. It was beautiful, a really neat place. And in conversations, she had talked about how maybe, you know, it might be nice to get married at a place like that. And so when it came time for me to propose, I thought to myself, hey, I'm going to see if we can get engaged at this place as well. As well. And so I had the whole thing picked out. I had written her a song on my guitar, and I'd bought the ring, and I called this place to set it up for me to go to propose to her. And they, they said, absolutely, they'll have it all lit up, it'll be great. So proposal day comes, okay, and I'm kind of nervous, I'm excited, and the place calls me early that afternoon, and they said, hey, we've got a problem, uh, our electricity is out. 
And so if you're going to do this thing, you need to get here before the sun goes down, because when the sun goes down, it is completely dark. And we both agreed that seeing each other at a proposal is pretty important. And so I was like, okay. And so I hung up the phone, and I call up my now wife, then girlfriend, about to be fiance. And I said, hey, I'm going to come get you, okay? Let's, we're going to go somewhere. And so I leave my apartment. I go and get my car. I was driving an Explorer at the time that I named Dora, Dora the Explorer. And so... I go and hop in Dora, and I go to my wife's dorm, and she comes out, and she gets in the car, and I tell her, hey, I want you to put this blindfold on. Now, I don't typically have people put on blindfolds when they get in the car, but she could tell something special was going on. So she puts the blindfold on. Now, this was a while ago. This was 15, 16 years ago, and I did not have a, a cell phone with a GPS on it. I had, I didn't even have like a printed off MapQuest sheet, y'all remember those? I had written the directions on a little note card with pen, and so I did not drive out here the time before. I am pretty terrible with directions, so I had this little note card driving in Dora. My wife, then girlfriend, about to be fiance, is blindfolded, and so we're driving to the proposal place, and on the way there, I'm, I'm not finding it. The sun's starting to go down. I'm nervous. I'm kind of sweating. Like the ink is smearing. I'm panicking a little bit. And in the process of looking down in my directions, looking up and trying to figure out where I'm going, I may have been kind of swerving the car a little bit. Um, may have even go, been going a little bit too fast. And all of a sudden, I look up in my rearview mirror and I see flashing blue lights. And I'm thinking to myself two things. One, man, I can't believe I'm getting pulled over on proposal day. And the second thing I'm thinking to myself is, is it illegal to have somebody blindfolded in your car? <laughs> and so I quickly tell Crystal, I said, hey, uh, take your blindfold off. We're getting pulled over. And she's like, ah, that's not funny. I was like, no, really, we're getting pulled over. And so she takes off her blindfold. We pull over. Two of the most muscular, huge, intimidating police officers that I've ever seen get out of the car. I mean, these women were huge. And so they get out, <laughs> and they come up to our car, and they, are, they basically indicate to me that they thought I'd been drinking. And they quickly realize that I have not. And so I tell them I'm just lost. And they're like, well, where are you going? And I was like, I, I can't tell you. And so <laughs> they, they seem suspicious. They leave. They come back. And they, they say, you know what? We're not going to give you a ticket. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Thank you guys so much. Y'all saved me here. And so... They head back to their car. Eventually, I just ask Crystal, like, hey, how do I get here? This is where we're going. We get there. I propose. She says yes. But here's what I want you to think about for a second. I tell the story to teenagers a lot, uh, not usually to adults. But uh, I, thinking about that story a lot, and in that moment, did I deserve to get a ticket? Of course. Had I been driving recklessly? Absolutely. Was I speeding? I definitely was. But in that moment, they could have given me what I deserved, a ticket. But they didn't. And that's mercy. That's grace. And like, you don't seem shocked by this, right? Like, you understand this feeling. Every one of us in here, at one point, has had a teacher, a parent, a police officer, a boss, someone not give us the thing that we deserve. We know that feeling. It's a great feeling. It kind of changes us a little bit, at least in that moment, right? If we, when we experience mercy, when we experience grace, all of us understand that. And we all also, I think, if we're a follower of Jesus, we all have a, a very real understanding of the amazing grace and mercy that comes 
by us not getting what we deserve because of our sins, because of Jesus dying on the cross for us. But here's what happens oftentimes. We get, in the moment, we think about it, and there are moments throughout our life that we are refocused on that grace and that mercy. But it's not always at the front of our mind. I believe if it was, I believe if every day we were constantly focused on the grace that God has given us, on the mercy that we've received, on the wonderful sacrifice that took place on the cross so that we could have a new life. I imagine that if that was constantly at the front of our mind, that it would change us every day. It would change the way that we interact with people. It would make it where, you know, this uncomfortableness that gets in the way of me having this conversation, bringing someone to Christ, going through this obstacle, maybe wouldn't be so intimidating if we were constantly focused on the amazing grace of God. And when we're reminded of that, I believe it helps us push through those obstacles and go through the roof. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he he gives some insight into his mindset when it comes to this. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. And he continues this thought. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law. He's not done. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Why? So as to win those not having the law. He continues, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. I believe what Paul is saying here is like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes because it's that important. There are certain things that are too important. There are certain things that are so important that we're willing to risk awkwardness. There are some things that are so important that we're willing to risk a friendship. There are some things that are so important that we're willing to risk maybe looking foolish or silly. Why? Because as Paul says here, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Are we willing to do everything we can to bring people to Jesus? Are we willing to do everything we can to bring someone that we love to Jesus? This is too important to give up on. Looking at these people, thinking about these people, they are too important to give up on. We got a couple more minutes. Let me, let me tell you one more story. Um, my wife and I, after our first summer in youth ministry to celebrate, we decided to go on a very fancy date. We went to a hibachi restaurant. Now, you guys have been to hibachi restaurants. It's like a dinner and a show, right? And so we are sitting at this table, and they cook the food in front of you. They'll throw a shrimp up into their pocket. There's a choo-choo train. You should go. Like, some of you are looking at me like you have not gone. It's pretty fun. And so the way that this restaurant works is you've got the person cooking in the middle, and then there's like eight seats around where they're cooking. And there's just two of us. And so if you've been there before, you know that 
you just get sat with people you don't know. And so it's like eight people that don't know each other really well. Now, our chef uh, was awesome. He was like really friendly. And so at one point, he's talking to all of us, and he's kind of going around the table, and he's asking us what we do for a living. And so he starts at the other end of the table, and I'm the last one, and it gets to me. And typically when I tell someone that, like, hey, I'm a minister at a church, usually get one of two responses. One, like, they, they try to share some church experience they had, you know, maybe, like, where they attend church or something about them uh, going to church with their grandparents, something like that. Or it kind of kills the conversation. It's very awkward. But this time, it was, it was a different response. This guy kind of stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I have been meaning to try that church thing for a while. And then he said this. He said, but I have some things that I need to get right in my life first. And so here I am with my fried rice and my chicken, and I wish that I'd been like, no, you've got it all wrong. Like, you don't get things right in your life first and then come to Christ. It doesn't work that way. You've got it backwards. But instead, I just kept eating my chicken and rice. I just kind of nodded and kept eating. Now, I'm not saying that, like, maybe that was the appropriate time for it, but I think about that conversation often. I, I wish that I maybe had done something different, had, you know, a moment where I could have talked to him afterwards. And maybe you've had moments like that, too, where there's been a conversation, there's been a moment, and afterwards you're like, man, I wish that I had done something different in this moment. Maybe right now, maybe there is an obstacle getting in the way of you having a conversation with someone else. Find a way to go through the roof. Or, or maybe, maybe there is an obstacle getting in the way of you and your relationship with God. Maybe it seems reasonable. Maybe you think to yourself, hey, you know what, I'm gonna take care of this thing first and then I'm going to work on that relationship with God. Maybe there are many times that you've thought, today is the day I'm gonna become a Christian? Or this is the time when I'm gonna start asking for prayer? Or, or maybe you thought to yourself, you know what, I am soon, I'm really soon gonna start committing to living differently. But then we know what happens. Sometimes something gets in the way of you making that decision. An obstacle, a fear, you get sidetracked, Tonight, I want to challenge you to instead go beyond what might be holding you back, to go through the roof, because it's too important not to. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful that we get to live for him each day. God, I pray that we will look for opportunities to share you with those that we encounter every day, especially those that we love. Help for us to be willing to have those difficult conversations that when we face obstacles or moments that seem too hard, that we will find a way to get creative, to, to bust through those obstacles, to go through the roof in order to do what's so important. We love you, God. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. Help for us to continue to find ways to share that with those around us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray.